Hello, everyone. This is Ron Bush with Ron Bush Consulting, and you're listening to the Information Playground, though this will also be on a separate channel, uh, Chatting with Ron. I'm going to put it in both places. Uh, our guest today is my good friend, uh, uh, Tony Sindone, and uh, I can't wait to get into the program. But first, let me do a little station identification and program identification. Ron Bush Consulting is my company. We do risk assessments for businesses uh, and generally cybersecurity practices and, and uh, planning and strategies. Uh, we are coming to you if you're in Northwest Indiana. There is an excellent not-for-profit radio station by the call letters WVLP. Uh, you can find them at 103.1 on your FM dial, but I hope you're streaming us uh, for a more consistent uh, program on uh, WVLP.org. You can also find us now uh, on the radio station. You'll catch us at 8 a.m. on Mondays and uh, uh, 1 p.m. on Tuesday, on uh, Fridays, excuse me. You'll also catch us on demand on uh, two channels, on uh, any of the podcasting channels, uh, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, uh, you name it, we're there. Uh, the, uh, the name of the channels are one, the Information Playground, and you'll find a lot of uh, previously recorded uh, podcasts that I've done with other uh, subject experts, subject matter experts, and just good friends in the field or good friends that I know. You'll find the same thing on Chatting with Ron. Now, if you go to YouTube, you'll find the same two channels. And uh, we haven't been doing the video all that long, but the ones we have, you'll find there. So, Tony, you'll be in both of them. Would you tell the folks a little bit about yourself? Well, first of all, man, you are everywhere. Yeah, man, I, this is amazing. I've given up sleep. It's too non-productive. <laughs> is that it? Okay. My name is Tony Sindone. I'm a uh, clinical associate professor. I didn't tell you, you got a, I got promotions anyway. <laughs> clinical associate professor at Purdue University Northwest. Uh, I am an economist. Uh, I uh, my official title is clinical associate professor of finance and economic development. I do a lot of work in financial field, forensic economics. Uh, economic development. I work a lot with um, uh, local economic development organizations. Uh, my area of interest and I guess expertise would be in labor markets uh, and looking at innovation, uh, especially in terms of education and workforce development. So that's kind of where I am. I wear a lot of different hats, uh, almost as many as Ron does, but um, uh, I'm here and I'm so glad uh, to be joining you today. Oh, I, I am. I'm glad you're with me. And you, your hats are much more professional sounding, much more sophisticated. <laughs> no. So I, I like your hats. <laughs> so with all of that aside, um, let's get into it. We're in the middle, uh, at least I hope it's the middle or the end of the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, COVID-19 has basically taken the world hostage uh, in a sense. Um, what do you think are the industry's hardest hit? Well, right now, uh, let me let me just back a little bit, backtrack just a little bit. When sure. you say we're, we're hoping we're in the middle of this whole thing, uh, I suspect that we're kind of at the tail end of the beginning okay. uh, because this is a, a continuing uh, issue here. And I mean, all you have to do is open your eyes and, and look at the news and you can see what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so having said that, whenever we're trying to do some kind of forecast as to what may happen in the future, it really is uncertain. Now, there's some things that we can talk about and, and from an economics perspective and a, uh, you know, a student of social structures perspective, we can talk about those things. But let me tell you, the industries, getting back to your question, the industry's most hardest hit would be those where we cannot go out anymore uh, due to, uh, you know, the uh, stay at home um, uh, kind of thing we have going on, right? We're sheltering in place, not really sheltering in place because people are going outside walking, they go to parks and things like that, but you can't go to a restaurant. Um, and by the way, I'm seeing an 80% reduction in expenditures at restaurants. Mm. And that 80% reduction translates to pretty much an 80% reduction of the workforce. Yeah. Uh, people are being laid off uh, and we can talk about nationwide, but I like to focus in Northwest Indiana where I'm, I'm domiciled right now. And uh, what we're seeing is, uh, you know, hospitality is being hit big time. We've got, um, of course, restaurant industry, casinos, 
you know, that's all part of it. Uh, also retail, uh, again, an 80% hit in retail. Uh, online retail is doing relatively well. Supply chain is doing relatively well because you need to get goods and, you know, back and forth. Uh, we're also seeing a hit in construction. Uh, and the reason for that is, of course, uh, we're not building new buildings uh, for places like restaurants and, and uh, other places that we would normally frequent. Um, now, I know the restaurants, they're not completely shut down because there is, there is carry out. Right. Uh, the restaurants are doing what they can to try to survive. But uh, by my numbers in, in Northwest Indiana, I'm seeing, I, I'd say by the middle of June, we're going to see a loss of about 80,000 jobs. Just Northwest Indiana. I just did the math. Um, you know, we have, uh, I, I said, 80% of what the workforce is or what the jobs were in those industries, add them up, and it comes out to close to 80,000 jobs. Um, You've got, and, forgive me for the interruption. Go ahead. Uh, when, when you think about it, I've already heard of dairy farms having to dump milk because restaurants aren't open to serve it. You, I mean, you can't, you can't get it out to the population like you could sell it to restaurants. Uh, grocery stores may or may not be taking as much as they used to, but but restaurants, as you've noted, are hit particularly hard. As that translates from dairy to the rest of agriculture, all the foods that that restaurants used to buy, the processed foods. I mean, we heard about Smithfield; uh, uh, they're the biggest uh, pork uh, processing plant, I think, in the world. Right. Um, and they're the plant in South Dakota. Dining. You're talking about, right? Pardon. The plant in South Dakota you're talking about. That's right. South, I couldn't remember which state, but it, they're all over the globe. I don't know how they're being affected. Uh, otherwise, they're owned by some company in China. Mm. Uh, but they're, it's incredible the effect just they are having. But translate that to the rest of the industries. You've got all of agriculture, processing. I mean, mm. it's amazing how many things are integrated in our world that we never think about. You, you move one thing and it's like a, a chess game where now all the other pieces have can't make the same moves they could have made before. Now there's a different strategy in place. Yeah, and it's you know in economics we always talk about the multiplier or the ripple effects, right? So you you affect something over here and it works its way through and it affects something over here. Uh, you're talking about the fact that restaurateurs don't uh, you know they don't buy as many dairy products because they're not serving as many meals, at least sit down meals, mm -hmm. and um, uh, so the dairy farmers have no place to put the milk, uh, or they, they think there's no place to put the milk. And I've seen the horrible images of milk being tossed into rivers. And my gosh, you know, we, we have hungry people uh, in, this, in this country. And uh, the homeless uh, situation has actually uh, been exacerbated by, uh, by this, this, you know, the COVID-19 COVID virus. And... Um, so, by the way, I did hear that there was a supermarket chain. I heard that Publix uh, has agreed to buy uh, some of the surplus uh, foods, especially dairy products, really? and they are going to give them away to, uh, to shelters, uh, homeless shelters and that kind of thing. So here, you know, we talk about the negatives so often. Yeah. Here's what I love about human beings, right? We find a way to help each other. We find a way to make it work. It may not be perfect. It rarely is anywhere near perfect, okay? But I am, I, I am really happy that we, uh, that we do have organizations, and they didn't have to do this. We have organizations that say, we can do this, so let's see what we can do uh, to reduce the waste uh, of, of dumping food out into a river, for gosh sakes, you know? And, uh, so no, I... Those, they are positive. There was also positive ripple effects because you know what? You hear stories like this and you get other companies that say, oh, we could do that too, yeah. you know, and we could do some of that. And so the ripple effect that is not only negative, the ripple effect could actually be positive. And that's, a, and I'm, you know, I, I feel a little bit better when I, when I observe those kinds of things happening. Well, you know, it's, it's true of all of us that it's not, it's not what happens to us that really counts. It's how we respond to what happens to us. Mm -hmm. I've been reminded several times as I've listened to the news or I've read the read uh, reports. Uh, and of course, the world I live in is almost always bad news, cybersecurity. <laughs> yeah. There's very little positive in that, mm -hmm. in that reporting. But um, Winston Churchill is, is, is known for a famous quote, a lot of them. But the one that, I, that seems germane to this is uh, when you're going through hell, keep going. 
and that's where we're at. It's not so much rolling over and dying because everything's just falling apart. It's responding to it in a positive way and keep going. Uh, there's just, there's no way we can sit back and see what happens. We've got to be active and we've got to be active in a, in a proactive and in a positive way. So I love that. You're, you're talking about that. Let's look, I want to get to opportunities, but that's down my list. Uh, I want to start first. Let's, I, I like getting the bad news out of the way because I like ending on positive notes. So, okay. so we'll, we'll deal with the bad stuff, then we'll okay. get to the positive. Mm -hmm. um, future of work. This is changing us, I think, as I, and I've been doing webinars for, for different groups on, on working remotely, uh, how, to, how to protect yourself, the security involved. Uh, I think some of this, you know, we'll go back, but I think a lot of people are going to continue working from home. I was talking to someone earlier today that had always worked in an office as a larger company, but now they're working from home and they, they said when, they, when this is over and we get back to as normal as we're going to go back to, um, they're going to be still working from home three days out of five every week because, frankly, it's, it's cheaper, easier, and more productive. Now, that may not translate to every business or industry, but it will to many. That will cause a ripple effect. You've got, uh, you know, businesses may downside offices, downsize offices. They may, uh, you may find a, a big disruption in the commercial market uh, for building, building new construction, but also modifying it, warehousing. I mean, there's just a, a tremendous ripple effect through all of this. What do you see for the future of work and the workplace plan. We'll get to I, uh, I want to echo a lot of the ideas that you just, uh, you know, you just uh, elaborated on. It was, um, uh, what I'm seeing is that people are now getting used to working online. Uh, people who've never worked online before, uh, they say, well, I might, I might be on my computer and I might play some video games and then that's it and I have to go to work, mm -hmm. right? Uh, by going to work means actually getting in your car and driving to another building, right? Mm -hmm. Where now the commute is from maybe a couple of rooms away over uh, here. People are getting used to this. And what we are seeing, and, and you, you mentioned this before, what we're seeing is that some companies and some individuals are realizing, you know, I'm actually more productive. I'm not spending time on the highway. I'm not driving an hour and a half one way to get to work. I can get to work right away. I am relaxed. I am rested. Yeah. Uh, I am, uh, you know, just able to do this. And so um, that's, that's what I'm seeing, the nature of work uh, changing. I also see that people are getting more used to technology, uh, not only being able to work with their computers and being able to work with the communication media, but also software. They're learning new things. Mm -hmm. uh, I've got kids that are learning how to, how to code, right? And that's the key, by the way. You know, you've got 10-year-olds that are learning how to code. Uh, and so they're going to create new programs. Uh, I see the workforce changing dramatically, uh, learning new things. People are getting used to learning new things. Mm -hmm. And we, you and I talked about this before. If we can learn, learn to love learning, yes. right, uh, then, you know, it doesn't matter what disruptions there are. We'll be able to overcome those. That's right. And therefore, we'll be able to... Um, uh, develop a workforce of the future, not just to obtain skills that are in demand today, but skills that will be changing their demands going forward. Mm -hmm. And I and I see a lot of that. I see the workforce, uh, you know, education system changing. I see um, the technology being used to educate and train people better. Uh, dramatic use of artificial intelligence. Uh, in your world, cybersecurity, right? Yes. Because here, oh, look, perfect. Your industry is growing exponentially right now because of all of this, this technology that we're using today, right? right? And so, uh, you know, there's opportunities there, but not everybody can understand cybersecurity. They need to develop skills in order to do that. You didn't know how to, how to do that the first time you opened up a laptop and say, gee, I'm going to be a cybersecurity expert. You had to yeah. learn it. And you, and that's what's happening with a lot of the folks around the country, not necessarily in cybersecurity, but in, um, in, in every field. I can't think of a field besides, I don't know, I was going to say cleaning, but you know, somebody's got a program, the Zumba, to go around your house, right? To yeah. clean it up. I mean, 
you know, it, it, there's a lot of technology at work here and we need to develop the workforce. I take that back. The workforce needs to develop itself to take advantage of the changes going forward. So that's I think, what I see in terms of workforce. I think you're exactly right. One of the, the uh, statistics that I've been tossing around for a couple of years, and, and the numbers keep getting bigger. So the last number I have is in cybersecurity in this country, America, we had three and a half million positions that were going wanting because there weren't people to fill them. They didn't have the skills. Now we had people out of work, but they didn't want to go back for retraining or re-educating. And it's not that hard. I mean, honestly, you can, you can go to, to uh, schools like Ivy Tech there in Indiana. Uh, you can go there almost free. And in some cases it is free. Uh, you can do it, of course, online now. But you, in taking the classes, you get the certifications you need to go get a job. It's not, it just isn't that difficult, but you got to have the want to, you got to have the desire. And, and there wasn't that before. I think maybe this may help with that because like you said, everybody's got to adopt some sort of technology through this. Well, not everybody, but most people. And so, uh, so I think that will help. I know there are other professions out there besides cybersecurity. By the way, I hope your 10 year old go from coding into cybersecurity so they can protect me in my old age. Cause okay. you know, I, I won't you be I doing both. this forever. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, um, yeah. the workplace itself, do you see, uh, do you see that changing? Do you see a big change? And you, you dealt with a little bit of that Expand a little bit because back to your ripple effect, uh, you can see restaurants may be downsizing. They may not, and it may it may be different. No, neither one of us has a crystal ball that that works anyway. Mm -hmm. And so you look down the road. Maybe a bunch of them will reopen. I have a feeling they will. A bunch of new ones will open. It'll they'll always be there because people will always want to go out. But mm -hmm. but there'll be a, a lag time in there, um, and we'll see empty restaurants. I'm sure. But we may see smaller ones. We may see takeout more of an opportunity. People get used to that. Uh, I think, so I think what we'll see, um, not to cut you off, but I think what, we see, what we're going to see is a changing structure. Yeah. Uh, as I mentioned before, people are used to using the technology, but now, you know, on their own, they're more productive. Employers are going to be, are, are going to get used to their employees mm -hmm. working remotely. Right. Uh, so maybe they don't need as big of an office space. Maybe they don't need as much uh, structure in their offices. Maybe, um, uh, you know, getting back to the restaurants, right? People are getting used to carry out. That doesn't mean that people don't want to go out to dinner. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, you know, it, it's, there's one, is the difference between going out to a romantic dinner with your significant other uh, and then having a romantic dinner over the kitchen table. I mean, you could do both, but there's a difference between the two, right? Mm -hmm. And we're human. We're going to want that interaction, but that's not going to happen right away, right. especially due to the uncertainties of what this virus is really going to do. And, and if we have therapeutics going in the future, and if we actually develop a vaccine that's effective. Um, so I see restaurants maybe kind of downsizing a little bit of their, of their sit down area uh, and maybe devoting more to takeout, maybe come up coming up with creative ways of taking out. Maybe they would, um, you know, it's gotta be think outside the box, right, Ron? So what, maybe what they'll do is they'll say, I can give you our experience at your home. In other words, maybe they'll, they'll set up your living room in a nice, nice romantic setting. Mm -hmm. uh, and then we'll deliver the food to you and we'll clean up and that's it. But you didn't have to leave your house. I'm just thinking that way, but people are going to be thinking in a lot of creative ways uh, to change the workplace, to change how we interact with each other as humans. Um, I see, uh, I see the workplace changing dramatically. Um, and it's not going to look like it, like it looked six months ago. Uh, it's going to look a whole lot different six months from now than it did six months ago. Uh, but I think eventually, yes, people are going to be going out more uh, than they do now, which that just means going out. Uh, but um, the actual structure is going to change because people are getting used to this now uh, in a way, you know. And so that's that, that's what I see going forward. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. We actually did that. I did that to surprise my wife for an anniversary, well, I don't know, 10, 15 years ago. 
it was a caterer that uh, was a uh, was a friend. Mm -hmm. She might have been a client. Can't remember now. Um, and she actually came to our home, brought everything, fixed dinner, set the table, made it a nice romantic even evening. I didn't do that again. She didn't, uh, you know, she it didn't catch on, mm -hmm. and and so she she quit doing that. But I thought, what a great idea! Now may be the time for that. Mm -hmm. um, human relationships. Mm. we're all people and we adapt. We talked about, uh, alluded to that earlier. What do you, how do you think that's going to change? Wow. This is, uh, that's a great question. Thank because, you. Because, uh, uh, you know, again, now I put my social scientist hat on and I'm looking at how we interact with each other. I mean, let's think about this, but, you know, I like to tell stories and I like to kind of empathize with how people are behaving. Uh, suppose uh, you were, suppose you were not married. Okay. And then you were on the dating scene. Don't let your wife listen to this, but you're, you're not married. You're on the dating scene. Right. And you started to date somebody and, uh, things were going really well. Okay. And, and all of a sudden this thing hit. Now you're probably not going to live together right away. Yeah. You're not going to live. Let's just assume you're not going to live together. And, I've been and, out of the dating yeah. thing so long. It's hard for me to imagine. I know. I don't understand it myself, <laughs> but anyway, but I'm just trying to envision what the relationship would be. Look, well, you know, the kids, the kids are on this, yeah. right? Yeah. That's their relationships now. They're on here all the time. They're yeah. going, oh, I'm, gonna talk. I'm talking to my friends. I'm talking to my, my girlfriend, my boyfriend, whatever. And it's like, okay, I've seen couples at restaurants when we used to go out, they'd be texting each other yeah, and then sharing videos and all that stuff. That, the technology has changed relationships and I think it's gonna change it even more going forward. Um, I Obviously, there's going to be People are going to hug again eventually. Okay, they're going to hold hands again. They're going to do that. Uh, but um, uh, you know, the, the technology is uh, is changing things so much that uh, you know, when you and I were back in the day, in my case, a hundred years ago, dating, and it's like you know, it was totally different than what it is today. And um, and, and they're used to uh, using technology to interact with each other. Um, where I would always say, I'd, I'd be looking at my kids when they were doing that, and I'm going, why don't you just go talk to them? I am. <laughs> it's like, okay, yeah. well, that's different. <laughs> I, you know, it's, it's going to be fine. And in the workplace, we like to hang out at work, by the way. We like that. We, most, of, most of us now uh, develop our friendships from people we work with. Yeah. Right? Yeah. That's really the way it is. And so now we're working. So here's another way of looking at it. If we're working in, in you know, this technology and this medium, we can now interact and have more friendships, but they're going to be friendships with images across the screen at this yeah. point. Right. Yeah. Uh, but I think, I, I think it's going to be a positive thing. I think it's a good thing. We communicate more. Yeah. Um, we may not communicate as well. Uh, and for example, you know, I never saw how wonderful your library looked back there, Ron. And not, how long have we known each other? And said, wow, that's really cool. Nice clock. I See, I learned more about you uh -huh. uh, in this particular uh, medium. Uh, and you see how messy my office is, but that's okay. Well, uh, but, that's, but again, we get to know each other almost more intimately, in a sense, mm -hmm. uh, by using the technology. And I think we're going to see some of that... Uh, uh, some of those relationships um, uh, working out that way in the future, both for personal and professional, um, because we're getting used to doing this. Yeah. Yeah. I you think know, exactly we're going to do right. this for another couple of months, you know, at least. Yeah. At least another couple of months. Like I said, we're at the end of the beginning. And, you know, we'll yeah, be, we'll exactly be on, right. on a downward slide here probably in about a month or so. So let's, uh, before we get up to opportunity, I'm going to save that for the second half. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about the environmental impacts because mm. they're huge. I listened to the news, I think it was yesterday, and, and they showed the, uh, the skies over Los Angeles and how they hadn't been that clean, uh, the reporter said, in years. It's probably decades. Um, right. And their question was at the end of the report, um, how long once this is passed, this point is passed and people start driving again, how long will it take for it to, to be become as contaminated as it was before. Um, I don't know if we'll get environmental laws or regulations now. Mm -hmm. will, we, will we adopt uh, alternate uh, forms of energy faster because we like the cleaner air? What do you think is going to happen there? 
Well, that's a great question. Uh, there is no question that, that the, uh, the environment has benefited from uh, all the stay at home. Um, because, you know, you look at, it's not just Los Angeles, you, even Shanghai was cleaner, even uh, uh, New Orleans is cleaner, they've taken, pa Paris is cleaner. You know, you've seen the before and after photographs, but what that really tells us is that it's, it's now difficult to argue that humans do not uh, create the environmental degradation that we've been seeing. Right. Because once we take humans out of the equation, uh, what happens? And the, the earth kind of heals itself a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Right. And so, uh, you know, so what do I see going forward? I think people like to breathe clean air. I think people like to see the Himalaya mountains. Mm -hmm. um, but then we have to change the way we we conduct ourselves. Uh, I see it. I see at least some proposals. I haven't heard anything like this, but somebody's going to make a proposal in policy, be it here in this country or another country to say, why don't we have at least one day a week where everybody stays home? Uh, because if you have one day a week where everybody stays home, now you have, you know, what, 20% uh, reduction in, uh, in emissions and 20% reduction in using energy, that sort of thing. And then maybe the earth could heal a little bit better that way. Uh, by the way, the counter to that, of course, is now the price of oil has gone down to virtually zero, yeah. right? Which means energy costs is really low. You can get a gallon of gas now for a dollar. You know, and in real terms, that's, uh, you know, compared to what I used to pay for gas back in the 70s, it's about the same price. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I remember paying 30 cents a gallon back in the 70s. And too. now it's at $1.10 or whatever it is in some places. Yeah. That's about the same price. And the reason for that is because the demand for oil has gone down. Now, the price of oil is going to go back up again as we start getting out and start moving around and using energy again. Um, we are still there's still an inertia in developing uh, alternative energy sources. So that's already in the pipeline, so to speak. They're, they're working on that, right? We are working on that, solar power, wind power, uh, you know, hydraulics, what uh, hydroelectric power, all that kind of stuff. We're doing that now, but, um, you know, and we're producing more efficient cars and all the electric car, battery costs are going down. So. Uh, someday you and I will be driving our electric car uh, and, because it'll be affordable, you know, as opposed to what it is now. Not that it, if, uh, uh, you know, Elon Musk is listening to this, uh, it's affordable. Okay. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would like to say it would be really great, right? I could go in a, the Tesla is a wonderful vehicle. And then <laughs> I get one in, in my front yard, but that's, right. that's okay. So anyway, um, I see that all that kind of stuff happening, right? The environment is taking a, a benefiting from all of this. Uh, but again, like I said before, it shows that we have influenced the environment, take us out of the equation, the environment is healing. Yeah. And I don't think we want to really go back to the way it was. Um, by the way, you talked about LA. I used to live out in that area, as you know. And um, the reason LA is so smoggy is just because it's run, it's surrounded by mountains right. and the temperature, there's a temperature inversion thing where there's a layer of cold air above and the hot air can't get through that kind of thing. So it all kind of sits there. Uh, they show, you know, there were explorers that talked about how the smoke from campfires didn't go all the way up into the atmosphere. It went up and it went sideways uh, out in that area. And uh, so pollution is going to be there all the time but it is so dramatically reduced right now. And I don't think we as human beings really want to go back to the way it was. I want to continue this for just a moment, but I also need to break. So let me give you food for thought. We'll pick it up there and then we'll head into opportunities after the break. So before this hit, I was reading a, a forecast of 5G being throughout the country in the next three to five years. Mm -hmm. 5G enables us because of the, the software that runs electric cars, or uh, excuse me, driverless cars or driverless vehicles, and, and the software that runs flying uh, vehicles, flying cars. Mm -hmm. um, it's so huge. You've got to have 5G to make all the, the stuff work and communicate. And you've got to have it widespread, or as soon as you hit the end of the signal, well, you die. I mean, there's nothing, no juice to keep it going. So I was reading 
forecast that in the next three to five years, we would start seeing this roll out because they were working hard on it. I've lost track of where that is in the last few weeks. I don't know what effect, I don't think anyone does, what effect it's gonna have on continuing that rollout. You have edge computing com coming along with that, which is basically taking large data centers, making them local, smaller data so centers. So instead of a million square feet for a, a data center, now you got 10,000 square feet for a data center, but it's just down the road. It provides Wi-Fi for everyone in the area. There's just all kinds of, of pluses for it. They won't get rid of AWS, uh, uh, Amazon Web Services, but it will, it will have an impact on them and it'll be a, for the consumer and business, it'll have a, a positive impact. Everything will be that much closer. So now let's go back to your driverless vehicle. Mm -hmm. It leaves from New York heading to LA it'll hit 5G signal all the way across the country and it'll hit edge computing, which has its, its necessary hookup to the data centers to communicate with its programs and other software that has to run there. So that's the idea behind all that. We're not gonna to get to machine learning and deep learning and all that stuff, but that's a thought. Let's pick up on that after the break and, uh, and then we'll head to opportunities. Got a couple things after that, but. Sure, sounds good, Ron. Folks, you're listening to the Information Playground and chatting with Ron. I don't usually do this, but I think this is important for both channels. The most important thing that those of you in Indiana or Northwest Indiana I want to talk to is WVLP. If you haven't gone to their website, please do. They're a great community uh, radio station. They, they do a lot in the community. And if you go to their website, you can see how you can be a part of that. It's uh, an excellent opportunity for you, and they do a great job in Northwest Indiana. Uh, so uh, keep that in mind, 103.1 FM, WVLP.org. You can catch us on uh, Monday mornings at 8 a.m., Friday afternoons at 1 p.m. Now, you can also catch us on demand, and I mentioned it earlier, podcast. I think we're on eight or nine different podcast uh, platforms. The three that co always come to mind are Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. But if you use Overbreak or some of the others, we're, we're on there too. Uh, and again, both channels, Chatting with Ron, The Information Playground. If you go to YouTube, you'll find this and the, the ones that I've recorded since we went to YouTube. Uh, you'll find them on this or this on those two channels as well, Chatting with Ron and The Information Playground. My... I'm Ron Bush. I own Ron Bush Consulting, and we're a cybersecurity company. Uh, if you would like to contact us, our website is ronbushconsulting.com. I like keeping it easy. I got a seven-letter name, and you know most people can spell consulting, so ronbushconsulting.com. If you want to email me, it's ron at ronbushconsulting.com. My guest is uh, Tony Sindone, and uh, he's just a wealth of information, reads probably more than I do, and that's going some. We apparently don't have any personal life or anything. We just read and talk all day. Uh, but uh, you can reach Tony. How can folks reach you if they have questions? Ron, thank you very much. The, uh, the best way to get a hold of me is through my, uh, my work email. I do work uh, at uh, Purdue University Northwest. So my email address is asindone, it's A-S-I-N-D-O-N-E, at pnw.edu. So it's asyndone at pnw.edu. That's the best way to get a hold of me. And by the way, I've, I've had, because I've, I've been on your program before, I've had one or two folks that have reached out to me before. Mm -hmm. uh, so I invite every, all of your, uh, your viewers and listeners uh, to reach out to me if they have any questions or, or comments, or uh, maybe someday we can do business together, who knows? Or you wanna, wanna go, come to college, I can tell you all about college. So uh, <laughs> especially in the College of Business. So. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you for the opportunity of letting me uh, let your, uh, you know, your constituents know how to get a hold of me. Appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome, and I hope they take take you up on it. Hope they take me up on it. Both of us love to hear from them. So, uh, with that, I left you with 5G. Mm. Uh, wrestling with that, what are your mm -hmm. thoughts? What do you think? Well, 5G. The way I understand it, I mean, I'm not an expert in those things, but uh, 5G just simply means fifth generation of communication system, right? And so, uh, what we're seeing is, uh, again, it is a uh, it, it's a growth of how we have learned how to communicate with each other, how we have learned how to store data, uh, you know, using cloud computing, that sort of thing. You were talking about using the the smaller nodes. 
of mm -hmm. data. You didn't call them nodes, but that's what I, as I remember it from school, right? Mm -hmm. So um, uh, instead of having these huge data centers, you now have smaller data centers that are more flexible, uh, that can communicate faster. The energy consumption is less mm -hmm. because a lot of people don't realize this. When you have a huge data center that's got, you know, 100,000 square feet or a million square feet, that consumes a lot of energy in a very small geographical area. But if you have these smaller places that store data and they can communicate with each other, the energy consumption is much less, right. even in total. Uh, so, uh, so we'll see that a cost savings there. But more importantly, we'll see more, we'll see more um, uh, uh, opportunities for folks to learn how to program uh, in those fields mm -hmm. uh, and to grow. Uh, automated transportation systems. So I, I see that as a tremendous opportunity. You talked about going from the East Coast to the West Coast, but I see, you know, just, just do it in three dimensions. You know, you're, you're talking about ground and air and shipping. All of that is going to play a role in, um, or, sorry, the, the 5G plays a role in making those transportation systems much more efficient. Well, you're exactly right. The the thing with 5G and why it's, it's uh it's, a, I guess, a, a, a big part of, of future, future technology is, first off, the signal is faster. And it's faster because unlike 4G, where it goes over a large space, it's slower and, and uh, uh, less, uh, less strength in it on 4G. 5G, that's got to be closer, much like edge, uh, edge data centers, where they've got to be in close proximity. So you'll have, or you might have one uh, large data center that serves uh, maybe Chicago has three or four, uh, and that would that would serve it fine. A lot goes into that. You've got to have redundant everything, so redundant power, redundant uh, connections to to uh, uh, different uh, uh, internet connections. I mean, there's just a host of things that go with that. But 5G, you've got uh, with 5G, you've got similar. Use the word nodes. I like that term. Uh, you've got nodes now that are more maybe not spaced neighborhood, but maybe one or two neighborhoods apart from each other. And so now the, the signal is stronger and it's faster. And that's what gives you the benefit. The trouble with rolling is out, it out is you got to have so many nodes. Uh, that's that's the, the, the problem. But Verizon's big in it. Uh, AT&T's big in it. Um, I don't know what's going to happen after the merger between uh, uh, T-Mobile and Sprint, but but you got all these players that are in it. Uh, Comcast is in it. There's just a whole lot of players that want to see it happen. Of course, the, there's a benefit to uh, to them money-wise, financially. But man, there's a great benefit to to the consumer because now your transportation, whether it's shipment of goods or it's people, now works cleaner, smoother, less accidents. Uh, yeah, it's just a whole host of potential issues there that that are all positive. So will it happen in the next three to five? I don't know. It could be 10. It could be a decade. It could be a century down the road. But they were saying three to five years. Yeah, it can't be, uh, it can't be dropped on us all at once, right? So as you said, it has to roll out because we have to develop it. We have to grow it. And, uh, and by the time, you know as well as I do, by the time we develop all that, we have this wonderful infrastructure in place, yeah. there'll be 6G. That's right. right? So, and then we'll have to do that again. So that's... But uh, one thing uh, that really struck me as you were talking about uh, the Verizons of the world and the AT&Ts and maybe uh, T-Mobile Sprint and Comcast and all that, there's really only a handful of players. Yeah. Uh, you can count them on one hand, yeah. right? And so, yes, in a way, it's beneficial to consumers, but there's only five players. Mm -hmm. That's different than 105 players. Right. Uh, now, it would probably be uh, very cumbersome to have 105 players, probably overuse the resources. In economics, we call that, uh, you know, natural monopoly power by allowing, as a society, allowing a very small number uh, of players in a highly concentrated industry, um, which is not really very regulated. Um, the regulation, uh, they, they're kind of self-regulated, but, you know, government regulates them through taxes and fees. Mm -hmm. That's how they do it, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, that's something that consumers probably should be concerned about. Because what happens if, if they all buy each other out? What happens if there's one provider? If there's one provider, then if you want to access that, that highway, if you will, uh, you have to pay the price. And um, so 
it's good that there is this competition right now. Yeah. And, uh, and what the competition's doing is also uh, creating an environment for even more technological advances. And uh, as long as uh, those advances uh, make our lives better, improve the quality of our lives, uh, I see that as a very positive thing. And, and by the way, it's going to give companies like you tremendous work yeah. uh, because the more, the more connections there are through the air and data transfer and all that stuff, uh, the higher the probability of some, um, what, scallywags? Is that what you, I'm calling them scallywags. It's an old term, right? The <laughs> hackers that come in there and try to disrupt everything for the whole purpose of just to disrupt it. Yeah. Uh, and so, you know, people in your industry uh, will have opportunities to make sure that, uh, you know, electronically we get from point A to point B without uh, being interrupted or um, degraded in some way. You know, I'm going to have, have to ask you to repeat that term you used a minute ago. Uh, I think his name's Peter Thiel. He's one of the founders of PayPal. And his last book really promoted that idea. His, his point was that the big players can set the stage. They can bring conformity or, or, or uh, there's probably a better word, but where everything integrates well, uh, right. they can d dictate the terms. Uh, he, I don't know, I recall if in his book he argued that AT&T would have been better if we hadn't uh, uh, broken it up. But, uh, but that was the idea. Monopolies are a good thing. Um, yeah, uh, the, the, the idea that a monopoly is a good thing, uh, it, it, it implies that the monopolist is a benevolent monopolist. Yes. Uh, where they're going to uh, do what's right for society. Uh, monopolies do that, by the way, if there is a threat of competition. Mm -hmm. uh, so what they do is they, they, they serve the consumer, they serve the public in such a way as to crowd out any potential competitor, mm -hmm. uh, in which case then we benefit from this. Uh, I've seen uh, I've seen studies uh, that said Ma Bell shouldn't have been broken up, um, but the reason it was broken up, you know the story, right? Uh, how they got broken up or why they got broken up? There's a guy by the name of McGowan. McGowan wanted to start his own closed circuit telephone system only for truckers, uh, because when truckers are going around the highway, they would go into a truck stop. Uh, they uh, uh, you know, they, they want to get paid. So how do you wire money to a trucker, right? Back in the day, it was actually wired to them over telephone lines. Uh -huh. And so this guy got a great idea. He said, I want to, I want to be able to lease AT&T's long lines, right? The long distance lines uh, to serve truckers. And uh, so he asked AT&T, can I lease your lines? I said, sure. But they charged him such a high price that he couldn't make a profit. There was no way for him to make a profit. So anyway, he sued AT&T. And anyway, he won his case. It was the antitrust case that was um, in, uh, introduced by McGowan. Uh, McGowan actually started his company, McGowan Communications Incorporated, that eventually became MCI. That was the first uh, competitor uh, that AT&T really had. AT&T had a breakup. Uh, and then the rest, as they say, is history. Sprint wouldn't exist. Verizon wouldn't exist. None of those people would exist if it wasn't for McGowan saying, I want to, I just want to use your lines and don't, don't price it so much that I can't, I can't use them. That's where that came out from. So that's, that's uh, yeah, I, I, I like to tell stories like that to my students, you know, and I'm, I'm, a, I'm a student of uh, economic history and, and business history. And I like to talk about the connections. You know, it was George. Your point, Ron, getting back to your point. The thing is, you know, competition is good. Even if you have competition among five, you know, I called it a natural Kind of a natural monopoly but it's not really a monopoly it's not like a natural oligopoly oligopoly is where we have like a few dominant players in a highly concentrated industry uh, and they are acting in such a way to prevent other competitors from coming in like you and i starting a, a data company that's going to uh, compete with them in uh, that and the way they compete is to provide the best service at the lowest possible prices so it kind of works out that's great now I have to do uh, I have to do my duty again. We're coming up on a quarter till, and I always like to break and, and identify the station and everything uh, again on the quarter till. Let's because we won't have time if we don't do it. Let's go to opportunities when we come back because there's yeah. a lot of positive in this. Sure. I, again, I don't want to minimize the effects. I, my heart goes out to everybody that's having to work through this. Mm -hmm. This is not meant to uh, minimize any of the sacrifices. 
and especially those that have, have uh, died as a result of COVID-19 or the, the families they've left behind or loved ones they've left behind. But we'll start with the opportunity. So you are listening to the Information Playground and the sub, the sub uh, uh, I don't know, sub show, I don't know what else to, to call it, Chatting with Ron. It's a part of the Information Playground. We usually distribute uh, uh, the shows or the programs that deal with technology uh, on the Information Playground. We usually do uh, the programs that deal with, with industry leaders uh, of all industries, and that can be government, uh, for-profit, not-for-profit, education. Um, we have those on Chatting with Ron. This particular program, I'm going to put on both channels. Um, it all comes through uh, WVLP in Northwest Indiana. That's WVLP.org if you go to the website. If you live there, it's 103.1 FM. Uh, also, uh, if you listen to us, if you want to do it on demand, uh, you can do so through podcasting and the channels are Chatting with Ron and the Information Playground. You'll find the same thing on YouTube, same channels. Uh, my guest is uh, Tony Sindone and I'm Ron Bush. And I'm just having the greatest conversation. I'm loving our time together, as I always do. Mm. So let's get into opportunities. What's What good can come of all this? Well, I want to echo your sentiments about, um, obviously, as a major downside here. We have loss of life. We have families that have been devastated by this virus. Um, it, it, we would have been a whole lot better off if it never happened. Yes. Um, but it, it has, and it will continue to happen. Uh, but we as human beings are extremely adaptive beings. Uh, we have learned how to adapt out of this. Uh, and by the way, the, the, you know, people are going to get people are going to continue to pass away uh, because we're not anywhere near the end of this uh, by the time anybody sees this broadcast. Uh, but um, I see, I do see some opportunities in the future, and I, I think a lot of it has to do with what we talked about earlier in your show, uh, where you know we're changing. Uh, the workplace. We're changing our, the, the relationship between ourselves and our work, um, utilizing technology. And what happens is that the more technology we use to communicate with each other and to get work done, the more it, it, that technology builds on each other. And so we end up um, operating much more efficiently in the future. Uh, new jobs are going to be created. I've always been asked, you know, uh, you know, how, um, you know, what's, what's the jobs of the future going to be like? So I don't know, but they're going to be different than they are today uh, because the technology is going to be different than it is today. But I think this time in our history is going to accelerate some of that. I think that we're going to see more technology being bred, if you will, from what we're doing today. Um, you know, that's, that's just one thing uh, in terms of um, uh, education systems. I think we have to rethink now, don't tell my, my chancellor this, but I think we need to rethink college education. I know you and I talked about this before, right? Uh, it isn't all about, you know, the 120 credits and now you have a bright, shiny piece of paper. You know, you and I have had those pieces of paper, you know, we hang them on the wall, whatever. Uh, and that just shows the world that you've gone through a curriculum, right? Uh, I think what we're seeing is more focused training and education uh, for the skills uh, of tomorrow. It sounds like I'm in a Disney, you know, <laughs> pavilion or something, but uh, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right. Any, anybody's been to Disney, you know what I'm talking about. I kind of sound like that, that voiceover that you always hear. But the thing is that we are going to be focused on, on developing new skills and those skills build on top of each other. And, uh, and we're going to see kids today, third graders, fourth graders, they're learning how to develop those skills and be innovative and think outside the so-called box. Yes. And, uh, and they're going to be just fine. Yes. Uh, they're going to grow into whatever society it is that they're growing into. Hopefully it's a wonderful one. Uh, and uh, so I see lots of opportunities coming out of this in terms of, uh, you know, the growth of technology, changing education systems, uh, you know, we can do a whole new show, a whole different show about education, you know, because yeah. I like to talk about instead of the degree, instead of 120 credit hours, whatever that means, right? Um, that's just time. Instead of being time results, you know, I've gone to school for so many years, four years or, you know, six years for graduate degrees. Base education on results. 
In other words, you know, I don't care if my students take three weeks to learn 16 weeks worth of material, but if they learn it and are able to apply it, then they, they pass through the course, they get through the course. Kind of tells you what you should do for my courses. Sign up for my courses just <laughs> in three, four weeks. You never know, right? Most people don't, but that's how it works. But, um, but I believe in results. And you know what? Employers are looking at results. Employers are now looking more at certificates rather than degrees. We're seeing a lot of that, especially in your world, right? Yeah. Um, so I see that's, the, the, again, these are some opportunities that are coming out of this very horrible situation and point in history that we're experiencing. I think, I think that we're moving, we were moving that direction anyway in education, but I think just as we've said before, this is going to speed that up. Mm -hmm. um, I, I don't know if you've seen the uh, technology report, CWI, uh, brought out recently, but at the end of, uh, towards the end of it, the uh, CWI Center for Workforce Innovation, another great uh, not-for-profit in uh, Valparaiso, and uh, they it, are. I've worked with them uh, quite a bit over the years. Yeah. I know you know Linda Walashansky uh, yeah. as well, and and uh, she runs that. Just an excellent organization. But what I was going to say is that at the towards the end of the report. I hope I get this right. The author of the report writes uh, that education is not just in the business of having to teach how to, information or, or to educate people for jobs that don't yet exist. Mm -hmm. They're also having to do that with technology and, and data information that doesn't yet exist. The jobs aren't there yet, but you got to train them for jobs and that, that knowledge doesn't exist yet. So the challenge education has moving forward is just mm -hmm. off the charts. But at the same time, you know, we can do this. There isn't anything, any challenge we're presented with may not do it well to begin with, but we'll get it down. Uh, yeah. Your thoughts on that? I like to call the period going forward. And I know you and I talked about this and I've been racking my brain to come up with a good term for it because people like terms. Uh -huh. Second Renaissance. Excellent. A second renaissance, because what happened, the first renaissance we talked about in the 15th century, right, or whatever that was, right, came out of, again, uh, almost the dark ages. There were plagues back then, uh, and then several individuals emerged, and they, they, uh, they expanded art and creativity and engineering and, and all that stuff. I think we're going to see something very similar. We're we are actually starting to see it already. Mm -hmm. um, and so I, I firmly believe that we're on the, in the beginning of a new renaissance going forward. And I'm kind of excited about it. I, I wish I was born, uh, you know, maybe 10 years ago instead of 20 years ago. So, you know, so I can take advantage of, of uh, and actually observe the new renaissance. I, I think that's happening. Uh, you know, again, we don't have the data, but we're gonna get the data. We don't have the art. But we're going to get the art. Yeah. We're going to learn the art. We're going to be that creative. We don't have the technology yet, but we're going to learn the technology. And I think that's that's a very exciting thing uh, going forward. There's, um, and I forget where I've read it, but there's uh, there's a lot of art. You know, uh, machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep learning, all those things have been happening. They're not been done in a closet, but uh, I don't know if the reporters don't quite understand it. But the press doesn't give it a lot of a lot of play. But there's a lot of that going on in labs and, and businesses and schools all over the, the world. Um, we, they've, they've, got, uh, they've had uh, machines do art yeah. by itself without yeah. programming it yeah. through artificial intelligence mm -hmm. and deep learning. It, you know, what is art? And then figure that out and do it. Now, it isn't Van Gogh, but, you know, I can't do Van Gogh either. And, yeah. And I'm not there. So I could draw stick figures. And so that's, that's it. You know, that's my level. And they're not good stick figures. I, mean, <laughs> no, no. I have to explain them sometimes. No, that's not a cloud. That's a person. No, anyway. <laughs> so, um, so it is going there. It, you know, science fiction has always been kind of ahead of, uh, of the curve. If, for those that like to read science fiction or mm -hmm. watch science fiction movies, 
it's always been kind of ahead of the curve, but it's always a, a negative head of the curve. Mm. You know, it's it's the it's the knowledge, the computers, whatever it is that's going to do us all in. It's the mm -hmm. you, you get the computers where they can think on their own, and they, what do I need these humans for? You know, we're done. Mm. But hopefully, it won't go that way. And indeed, what we'll we'll have is a is a higher standard of living. Um, the the question becomes, what do we do at that point? It's like the argument with robotics. Robots can't can't take care of themselves. Maybe someday they will, but but somebody needs to program them. Some somebody needs to maintain them. There's all kinds of opportunity. We just have to be willing to change. We have to be willing to re-educate ourselves, to to reskill ourselves, tune up ourselves. It, it, the the phrase I used to use a lot uh, is a lifelong love of learning. I wish all of us could develop that. You have it. I I've always had it. We read and, and we're always learning. I wish that on everyone because I think that's that's always been beneficial, but it will be even more beneficial going forward. It actually brings joy, doesn't it? It brings yes. joy to learn new things yeah. and to be able to apply those uh, in some beneficial way. Yeah, I, I, I'm in complete agreement. By the way, you mentioned science fiction. You know, Every new, I, every new technology begins with a crazy idea, Yes. right? By crazy, I mean, other people would say it's crazy. Uh -huh. you know, you're not going to get doors to automatically open. Right. Well, they did that on Star Trek in 1965, right? And so Gene Roddenberry came up with that idea of opening up the doors like that. And now you can't go anywhere without automatic doors, right? It, it, it starts with an idea. It starts with a creative artist that actually comes up with a new idea and then the engineers figure out how to make it happen. Well, you got the uh, um, uh, you got the the, uh, the the business with flight. So, what's the guy's name uh, from the 16th century? Um, the, da Vinci. Da Vinci. Thank you. Da Vinci. Yeah, yeah, the helicopter. That we yeah. Yeah, okay. yeah. 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 So he yeah. had those ideas. When we finally got come up, fast forward to the Wright brothers, mm -hmm. they were they were they were just two guys that loved to invent. Their dad had actually needed a, a printing press to print something, a, a bulletin or a, a book or something. And they, they developed one out of just scrap iron, scrap stuff. Mm -hmm. At that same time, the country was starting to get the idea of, of flight. And they, they commissioned some guy, I've forgotten, long forgotten his name, but they, he, he was a very famous inventor. He had teams of people. He had all kinds of prize money he was going for, and he just couldn't do it. The White Brothers, Wright Brothers were inventing out of a love of learning and a love of invention. And they just keep do, kept doing it. They, were, they opened a bicycle shop in their, their little town they lived in. And uh, they were improving bikes and coming up with, with improvements to bikes that were, were being made at that time. And they took, took the idea of that, what Da Vinci had come up with, the flight of birds and all that stuff. And they came up with it. They, didn't, they weren't after prize money. Uh, like the other guy, the other guy actually gave up and the Wright brothers uh, obviously succeeded. It's that love of learning and it's that willingness to change and open your mind. And you're right, science fiction has often shown the way. Robert Henling and, uh, oh, I can't think of the ones, I used to be into science fiction. I mm -hmm. used to know all the, the author names. Mm -hmm. um, the ideas they come up, up with are just out of nowhere. They are crazy ideas. Nobody's ever done it before, but that doesn't mean we can't. No, I mean, even you go back to the 18th, uh, the 19th century, Jules Verne. Yes. I mean, Jules Verne, you know, flights to the moon, uh, you know, the nuclear submarine, nuclear submarines. I think the fax machine was the that fax the machine. Well, the fax machine. Yeah, that's uh, um, it was. Um, yeah. Invented by. Uh, oh, gosh, I can't think of the guy's name. But anyway, he invented the telephone at the same time as Bell. Oh, Bell, Bell got the. But the uh, but Bell um, got the patent uh, application in for, first. So <laughs> the idea for the fax machine goes back to Jules Verne, if I remember it correctly. Yeah. And it was yeah. it was uh, uh, copy flying through the air. I mean, it, it didn't look like the first Xerox, but yeah. it, it, it's the general idea. My friend, we have I've enjoyed the conversation. So we're down to a minute. So. Um, Final thoughts and goodbye, because we've got. Okay, yeah, we're, we're, I'm sorry. we're up against a hard, uh, hard <laughs> deadline here. Uh, I, I just want to thank you again for having me on. I always enjoy talking to you. Uh, look, as, as devastating as this stuff is today, 
okay? As devastating as, as we are uh, you know, experiencing this in history, uh, there, there are opportunities. We will come out of this and we will go full speed ahead in the second renaissance. And indeed, I couldn't agree more. Your email for folks that want to reach you? asindone at pnw.edu. Excellent. Thank you. And thank you for being with us today. I'm Ron Bush with Ron Bush Consulting. Ron at Ron Bush Consulting, my email. Uh, I appreciate your thoughts and, and uh, uh, questions. Get in touch with us. And sure. thank you for being with us. Join us again on the Information Playground.